0: Bibles or uh, some sort of a smartphone or something like that, Uh, I just want to take just a few moments and share with you out of God's Word uh, some encouraging thoughts, um, just primarily here for uh, Easter morning. And you know, today we are celebrating uh, the Lord's resurrection. And actually, Every time that, as believers, as we gather together on a Sunday morning, that's exactly what we're doing, regardless of whether it's Easter Sunday or not. Uh, we are celebrating what the Lord has done for us. Now, I want to just spend a few moments here with you out of God's Word, and I want to show you what God has accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. The death of Jesus is really, it's, it's a glorious truth and it's, it's foundational um, for our Christian faith. It grants us peace with God is what uh, Romans chapter 5 verse number 1 says. It grants us redemption and the forgiveness of sins is what uh, Colossians 1 14 says. But how exactly is the death of Jesus explained to us in the gospel accounts? We find our text here, if you want to turn with me, to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. And we're going to look here at a a portion of Scripture. Probably, you're probably pretty familiar with this, but Matthew, chapter 27. And we're going to see how Jesus' death is explained to us here in the Gospel account. Now, uh, both Matthew, Mark, and Luke record these events for us. Uh, John, interestingly enough, doesn't record uh, this event. But here in Matthew 27, and look with me in verse 51, it says this, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now this account uh, is is given to us here in Matthew, is, is talking about how this tearing of the curtain took place, and it took place there in the temple. And it happened, the veil was torn immediately after Jesus' death. But what is it, exactly does that mean for the, for the veil to be torn or the curtain to be torn in two? Interesting enough that none of the gospel accounts stop to explain this for us. It just mentions us. It just says that the temple, the curtain, was torn in two. And then it goes on. This is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. When God tore the veil, God's plan was accomplished. When God tore the veil, God's plan was accomplished. Let's look here first, first of all, number one. What was the veil and why was it important? Well, as you read the account of the Gospels of when Christ dies, we are only briefly given a detail about this veil or this curtain that was in the temple. It says in Matthew 27, 51 again, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mark's account pretty much reads the same. Luke's account adds these words to it. It says, While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So we're told about the curtain of the temple, but why? Obviously, God wanted his readers to know about it. But we're not given details about it in the gospel accounts of Jesus' death. So what was the purpose of the veil? For example, I want you to take a look at this, uh, just kind of use it. We have this trailer here. And we read in the Old Testament that the, uh, the tabernacle that was set up, it was, it was used as a mobile uh, transporting device uh, for worship. And if you could kind of picture here, like this almost as the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle was known as the holy place. And inside that holy place there were various different types of items. But then there was a curtain or there was a veil that separated the holy place from what is known as the holy of holies or the most holy place. And it was inside that most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant rested. So, what is the purpose of this veil? Well, number one, the veil was a hanging curtain that was made to separate the areas in the tabernacle. It was used to separate the holy place from the most holy place. The curtain was described as being made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and it was finely twisted together. It had cherubim worked into it by skilled craftsmen. You can read all about that in the Old Testament. I'd encourage you to read about the veil as it's recorded for us in Exodus uh, chapter number 26. But behind this veil was this holy place, the most holy place. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant rested. And once a year, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and make a sin offering on the Day of Atonement. Again, I'd encourage you to read about all of this fascinating stuff in the book of Exodus 26. And it was in this place, this holy place, that God said He would dwell with His people through the Ark of the Covenant. Secondly, the veil was a way of separating the holy from the unholy. Again, as we read in Exodus 26, this was the function of the veil and it was made to separate, to cause a barrier that was put in place. And according to Leviticus uh, chapter 11 uh, verses 1 through 45 we read that it was the purpose of the veil to separate the holy from the unholy between the unclean and the clean. In fact we read in Ezekiel with the vision that he had of the Lord it says that the temple in there that there was supposed to be separation between the holy and the profane. The veil then was a physical barrier that God put in place there so that he would be separated. The holy presence of God would be separated from the presence of sinful man. According to scripture in Numbers 18.7 and Leviticus 16.2 that entering into that area... If you were not supposed to, if you went into that area and you were not supposed to, if you were not a high priest, if you, were supposed, if you entered in the wrong way, if you didn't enter when God told you to, you would be killed immediately, dead. And so God was very serious about the way that He was supposed to be approached and was supposed to be worshipped. Thirdly, the veil was a way of restricting access to God. Even though the high priest was allowed to enter in once a year, He was to take the offering behind the veil as a sin purification offering. He was to take the offering there and supposed to offer it upon the altar. I'd encourage you to read through of how all this was accomplished by reading uh, Leviticus chapter number 16. In fact, let me just point out to you a, a few of the things here in Leviticus 16 about what it says about how the priest was supposed to enter in It tells us here in Leviticus 16, in uh, verse number 13, it says, He would put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. I want you to think about that. Here the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies and it was sprinkled upon the, the mercy seat there to make atonement for the people. And even when the high priest did that, it said that God would hide the atonement slate where the blood was sprinkled. And it was hidden by the presence of God, this cloud that covered it so that even the priest would not die. And so God was very serious about keeping restrictions, keeping the holy from the unholy here. And so the veil served as a way of restricting access to God. This is important to us because worshipers in the Old Covenant were restricted in their access to God in the temple and could approach Him only through sacrifice and prayer and not at any time that they chose. And so now that we know what this veil was and the purpose of it, we pick up our text here in Matthew about the veil being torn and the significance that it brought. And so, listen again here in the book of Matthew is what the Lord records for us or how Matthew records for us about this tearing of the veil so number two the tearing of the veil has provided a new and living way let's read Matthew's account on the death of Jesus here pick with me up here in verse number 35 it tells us this and when they had crucified him they divided his garments among them by casting lots then they sat down and kept watch over him there And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. One of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it in a reed and gave it to him to drink. When the centurion and those who were, were, were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, notice some of the things that take place in this text. We see that he's mocked with the sign indicating that he is the king of the Jews, but really, in fact, he really is the king of the Jews. He is persuaded to save himself and come down off the cross. It says Matthew 27, 40, if you are the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, come down. In fact, that precise language is used by the devil in Jesus' temptation. If you really are the Son of God, command these stones be made into bread. If you really are the Son of God, jump off this building and the angels will save you. When he cries out with a loud voice, and yields up his spirit, Matthew 27.50. Right after this, Matthew actually writes the word, Behold. And behold. And what follows after Jesus dies on the cross is a series of many events that take place in different parts of the area. We start in Golgotha, Matthew 27.33. Here's Jesus on the cross. Then to the temple veil in Matthew 27, 51. The, the temple is in two. Then where the tombs of the saints were in Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom. The tombs were also opened. Then we find that the holy city Jerusalem after his resurrection, that these people that resurrected are in the holy city Jerusalem walking around. That would have been quite a sight, wouldn't it? Then back to the scene at the cross in Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. Now what's interesting is that all these events are a direct result of Jesus' death on the cross. We cannot overlook that. More importantly than the events happening is the meaning of Christ's death. Christ's death is a ransom for many. As uh, Matthew 28, 20 says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Christ's death is for the purpose of the forgiveness of sins, and His blood establishes the new covenant. Matthew 26, 28 says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so those who turn to faith in Christ for their salvation, Philippians 3.9 tells us that the death of Jesus accomplishes the forgiveness of sins and establishes the imputed righteousness of the believer. That's exactly what has happened. God's word teaches us that we as fallen sinful men have rebelled against a holy God and the only remedy for our sins is Christ's righteousness. Christ became our substitute and bore the wrath of a holy God on our behalf, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now one event in particular that takes place here is this tearing of the veil. When the veil was torn, we have here a statement from one of the centurion soldiers that was at the cross. He was there performing the execution. He was there to make sure that everything was carried out the way it should be carried out. And here, listen to his statement again in Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And said, truly, this was the Son of God. If you remember, the veil was a physical, visible barrier that indicating that access to God was strictly prohibited. And you think about this man's statement: how did he know that Jesus really was the Son of God? How did he know that? What took place? There was a revealing of who God was. And that's exactly how salvation works. God Himself reveals who He is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so this man here at the cross, the foot of the cross, there was a revealing. The temple curtain was torn. There was a revealing of who God was. And he saw God for who He was in the person of Jesus Christ. It's important to remember that the holiness of God remains unchanged. Even in that, in that tabernacle and that veil that was keeping the, the holy from the unholy. And when that, when that veil was torn in two, the holiness of God still remained the same. That never changed. That still remains the same to today. And even after the veil was torn, God is still a holy God. What has changed then? It is the fact that the death of Jesus on the cross has provided the appropriate wrath-bearing sacrifice, one which the bulls and goats of the old covenant could never provide. As Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, Jesus' death has made it possible for sinful man, unholy man, Unrighteous man, now to be able to draw near to God. Not because of anything that we have done, but for, but for what he has done. Turn over to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. I want to show you just a few verses here. They really put this in light for us. I want to show you this about something being very important about what Christ has accomplished. Let's start in verse number 19. It tells us there. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is through, notice this, His flesh. So this author of Hebrews expounds on this very clearly. We have confidence to enter the holy places. How is that accomplished? It's through the blood of Jesus. This is the new and living way is what he says here in verse 20. And Christ opened for us through the veil which the author says here is through his flesh. This means that the breaking of Jesus' body at the crucifixion is the unprecedented means by which believers have access to the presence of God. Here just recently, my wife and I, since we haven't really been doing anything much at home, we decided, hey, let's do some home projects. And I'm sure most of you have been doing that as well. One thing is for sure, all of us are going to have a really nice yard and some home projects that haven't been able to get accomplished. But one of the things we've been doing is removing some wallpaper. <clears throat> and this was some wallpaper that was in our uh, little entranceway. And it's a fabric wallpaper. It's pretty heavy. But I was thinking about this as the veil. And the Bible says that when Christ died, that veil that was keeping out the unholy from the holy, that was, uh, was not allowing uh, the, the, the worshipers to come into the very presence of God, because of the blood of Jesus, God literally has torn the veil from top to bottom. Allowing access now for people to enter into the presence of God. In fact, in fact, if you remember the night that Jesus, before he was crucified, as he sat with his disciples, he took out bread and he said, this is my body that has been broken for you. You think about that. It's been broken so now we can have access to God. So we could come into the very presence of God and we could be there with Him. So because of what has happened, what, because of what has been accomplished through the tearing of His flesh, notice this in Hebrews 10.21 it says, And since we have now a great priest over the house of God, Christ has now become our high priest. We don't have to depend upon a priest to continually give sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. In fact, it says of Jesus that when he entered into the Holy of Holies and he offered his blood, it says that he sat down, meaning that it's over, it's finished. We don't have to have continual sacrifices anymore. Notice this in verse 22. Now it forms the basis of of the author's exhortation to believers now to draw near. We have no excuse whatsoever, church, no excuse not to draw near to God. Why? Because we have the the direct access to God. There is nothing that is hindering us from drawing near to God. Listen to what he says in verse 22. Let us draw near now with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And look at this in verse 23, we now hold unwaveringly to our confession of faith. He says, This, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's all been accomplished because there's been a tearing of the veil. Christ has allowed us now to be able to enter in through His blood. Notice this, now we are now to stir up one another up to love and good works. In verse 24 it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's all happened because there's been a tearing of the flesh. There's been a tearing of the veil. We can do that. And I love this, verse 25. He says, Not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day of Christ is drawing near and guess what we do? We gather together and we worship together. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has now allowed direct access for us to enter in to the Holy of Holies. So what about the resurrection then? You see, it is through the resurrection that Christ has not only made all of this possible, but also it just so happens that Christ resurrected on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. And see, every Sunday we gather together, we are recalling what Christ has done. Whether it's Easter Sunday or it's not Easter Sunday, we are rejoicing in the fact that Christ has now allowed us to have direct access to God. Jude 3 says to us, To hold fast to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So when the veil was torn, God's plan was accomplished by opening a way for us to draw near.